It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. It continues to get and stay tense in Eastern Europe as Russian troops inch closer and closer to the border of Ukraine, amassing a large number of troops there. What's going on? What's the international community doing, not doing? What should it do to defuse the situation and stop any kind of potential uh, bloodshed there? Miles Hansen is the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah, a longtime diplomat. He speaks Russian and Farsi and Arabic and a host of other things I don't even know about. Uh, but Miles has really firsthand experience uh, in more than 70 countries uh, and is a term member of the Council on Foreign Relations. And, Miles, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, th- I know this is a very complicated one. Uh, give us a, a high level first. First uh, blush, uh, what is it that you're looking at as you see what's happening on the border of Russia and Ukraine? You know, boy, it's always good to be on. And, and as I think about this, I think it's important to, uh, to in some ways continue a conversation we had in August. If you remember, yeah. in, in August... Uh, Afghanistan, we demonstrated a, a really, really, really bad uh, a lack of resolve and a lack of competency in the way we got out of Afghanistan. And you, as you and I talked about that, we talked about how our adversaries in Moscow and Beijing would be looking at our lack of resolve and that lack of competence, and they would find ways to try to advance their interests in Ukraine and Taiwan. <clears throat> and so the timing of this escalation is not a coincidence. There's absolutely what, what Putin has been doing has been saying, asking himself, how can we advance Russian interests in Ukraine at a time where it looks like America is weak? And so what they've been doing is, is amassing uh, troops on the border, uh, manufacturing this, this crisis with the intent of creating leverage over the United States to then try to get concessions from us, whether it's on Nord Stream 2, a gas pipeline from Russia to Germany that bypasses Ukraine, or whether it's NATO membership and a host of other issues. Um, but it just underscores to me the importance of, of, of strong American leadership in the world and always demonstrating our competence, because when we show weakness, it creates opportunities for adversaries and it makes the world a less safe place. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you raised some of those specific components in terms of what uh, Russia might be angling for. One of the Russian experts I spoke with at AEI, you know, talked really about a kind of a three-pronged strategy or, or messaging uh, coming out of uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin. And one, of course, was to the Ukrainians uh, to, to don't mess and, and just, you know, stay out of the way. The second was really to, to Germany and France. Uh, in in terms of their leverage and and obviously the importance of of energy and and gas and oil flowing there and then of course uh, the last to the U.S. Uh, in terms of either having a, an official summit uh, because I my sense is is that uh, things at home are tougher for Vladimir Putin he needs uh, some international uh, prestige I guess to kind of tell people it's we're going to be okay despite how hard it is in Russia. 
Uh, so you mentioned the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline, uh, NATO considerations, I think, for Ukraine as well. Uh, what else is in the mix there in terms of some of these messages? And, and what is the right response for the U.S. and our allies? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's a good analysis from the, uh, the, the person AEI. And I would just add to the point that you made, the Russian people is a critical uh, audience for Putin in all of this. You know, I, I always remind people that the extent to which we as Americans felt pride at the end of the Cold War, the Russian people felt humiliation. And I spent two years living in Russia as a missionary, and, and, and there is a very palpable sense that they lost, and it doesn't feel good to lose. And so Putin is very mindful that if he can successfully expand Russia's influence uh, in its former uh, in the former Soviet Union, that is viewed favorably by the vast majority uh, of Russian people. And so his domestic audience is, is absolutely essential in all of this. You know, I think uh, really in terms of our policy options, we do need to think about uh, uh, points of, of leverage and how to increase the cost to Putin and the Russian people if he uh, is to, to invade Ukraine and take the eastern part of the country. And so we could do that through, you know, uh, reinstating sanctions on the German company that is, that is building the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. We've removed those sanctions uh, just in May and June and July of this year, uh, in fact. And we felt like or the Biden administration felt like they'd reach a deal with Germany where we should allow that to move forward. Reinstating that would make it more difficult for Nord Stream 2 to become operational. Um, increasing the capacity of the Ukrainian military to fight off and incur costs to the Russians if they were to invade is another way that we can increase the cost of an invasion for Putin, not just for the, the military and the government, uh, but by through that, you know, undermine uh, public support in Russia for a, a full-blown war. And then also we can work with our partners and allies and the Germans and, and the French. Um, this is a, a crisis in their backyard, in the backyard of the European Union. This is one where we need to steal their resolve to incur some costs, if it, even if it comes at a cost of some increased energy uh, prices in Europe in order to try to uh, dissuade Putin from invading. Yeah, uh, fascinating stuff. And I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, Miles, because this is fascinating and not many people are making this connection, uh, which is why we always love having you on this program, is you also connected this not just as solely a, a Russia thing, but this also has deep connections into what we're dealing with in terms of China, Taiwan, Hong Kong. Break that down for us a little bit. What's that? What is that connection? You know, it's, it, right now you see this very dynamic period where both Russia and China view themselves as ascendant. They view the United States as, as weaker than we've been in, in, in a long time. And so they, it, it, it's almost like in a football game when you've got momentum. Uh, you, you press, you go to the no-huddle offense, you try to put some points on the board. That's what we're seeing in Russia and in China as well. And so when we look at Taiwan, Hong Kong, China has uh, undercut Hong Kong's ability to be autonomous politically and economically. Um, they're moving uh, much quicker than a lot of experts thought they would over the past uh, two or three years to really make sure that they have absolute control over Hong Kong and that Hong Kong can never become a, a, a vulnerability in terms of being a, a, a platform for protests against uh, the, the, the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. In Taiwan, you see China also becoming increasingly aggressive over the past few months as they try to do some saber rattling and make the people of Taiwan uh, question whether or not they would want to, to put up resistance if China were to try to uh, take over Taiwan or exert increasing influence uh, over the Taiwanese economy, you know, goods coming in and out, 
uh, shipping and, and everything else. And so we're just in this, this really dangerous period of time where adversaries are emboldened. And, and here at home, you know, we're fighting over, uh, <laughs> we're ripping ourselves apart, so it seems. And uh, unfortunately, we see an administration that has demonstrated uh, not a lot of, uh, of competence over the past nine or 10 months when it comes to foreign policy. Yeah, and I think that's been one of the surprises, I think, for many, both on the left and on the, on the right. I think most uh, at least felt that the Biden administration would would be a settling or a stabilizing force in terms of foreign relations uh, moving into the new administration. And, and yet it seems like the administration has not been able to take in information, process it, assess it, make a decision, act on it, and then move on to the next. Uh, it seems like they are really mired and, and bogged down in an inability to rapidly process information and then move it forward. Uh, and in the process of that, it seems to me that often uh, the administration ends up rewarding bad behavior <laughs> as opposed to reinforcing good behavior. This goes back to my children. Uh, you yeah. know, don't reward bad behavior. Uh, so as you look at the administration, what is it that the administration needs to do? to kind of get out of that cycle of rewarding the bad behavior and making sure we're functioning from a position of strength uh, so that we can actually move forward. Yeah, boy, you know, I'm using the administration as a bit of a punching bag, and that's not a natural thing for me to do. I've worked in Democratic administrations, Republican administrations, and have a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle and and, and am proud of, of good work that I've done and others under Democratic administrations. I had relatively high hopes with the Biden administration coming in, but it has been uh, discouraging to see the the inability to clearly articulate what it is that we are trying to accomplish in these important areas of the world. And when it comes to Afghanistan, you know, we talked before about, you know, as I've checked in back in Washington, D.C., with ambassadors from some of our partner and ally countries in the world and, and, and officials, uh, both in the State Department and the White House, just a lack of clarity, a lack of, of strategic uh, thought and a, a seeming inability to focus on taking action to derive tangible results. Mm. And what we end up with is, is kind of a strategic drift. And it creates this vacuum where it's, it's difficult to uh, do the mental work of developing a strategy, put the plan in place, and then to execute that strategy if people aren't sure what we're trying to accomplish and if there's a lack of leadership and engagement at the top. And so I, I know a lot of the, the senior level officials, they're, they're all wonderful people, but it, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is. But there's a lack of strategic resolve. There's a lack of understanding of what we are trying to accomplish. And if you don't get those right, then it's impossible to develop a sound plan and execute that plan because you don't know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, our adversaries see that. And so we see them absolutely uh, developing plans and executing ex, uh, executing those plans, and we're left kind of knocked on our heels a little bit, trying to react, and that's never a good place to be if you're the United States of America. Yeah, focus always precedes success, and then nothing is that more important than in uh, our strategic foreign relations. Miles Hansen, President and CEO of World Trade Center Utah, a longtime diplomat, great insight as always. Miles, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Boyd. Have a great day. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. That's so important uh, as you look at that. It is about strategy, structure, a set of disciplines, and a communication strategy equal to your policy strategy. If you don't have that, you're functioning from an, a position of weakness, not strength. And that's where we've got to get. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. 
Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.